passive-aggressive behavior at home, at school, marriage, close relationships. We see it all the time, and I know many of us see it in our practices dealing with patients on the primary care level. What do we know about it, and what can we do about it? Hi, I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, and welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. Our guest today is the author of a book, The Angry Smile, the new psychological study of passive-aggressive behavior at home, at school, in marriage, and close relationships in the workplace even online. Joining me is co-author Signa Whitson. She is a certified school social worker and chief operating officer at the LSCI Institute with two decades of experience working with children, teens, and families on issues and managing anger. First of all, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. What attracted my attention about the angry smile was, I think about myself, I think about others, how we have to fight that tendency not to be passive-aggressive. And certainly we see people in the workplace and other places, and it can be very frustrating dealing with it. And I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how mature you are, it is very frustrating to deal with. I'm sure you deal with it professionally. Tell me a little bit about how it can get in the way and where it can be problematic. Well, you're absolutely correct, or you're like most people if you can see yourself behaving passive-aggressively at times. In The Angry Smile, we define passive-aggressive behavior as a deliberate but a masked way of expressing feelings of anger. And the truth is that so many of us are socialized from a very young age to avoid conflict, to sort of dance around anger, to hide our true feelings. Uh, and to deny that we are frustrated with someone else. But we know that that anger doesn't just go away, and instead it comes out in these sort of subtle, hidden, covert, and hostile interactions that we have with other people. I have a couple questions about it, and I'm sure many of our listeners probably have similar ones. When I see it, at least in the workplace, it often occurs with someone who might feel they don't have as much power as another person, that maybe they feel they can't communicate as effectively, maybe they're not able to, or just maybe they don't want that sort of conflict, so they kind of make a passive-aggressive comment or do something like that. You're right. That certainly can happen, that someone that's in a position of less power feels like they can't literally express their anger directly. And by can't, I mean in the hierarchy of a workplace or for children in a school setting, the hierarchy of a school. You know, they will be fired, they will be disciplined, there will be consequences. But the truth is that we also know that people in positions of power, bosses, supervisors, parents, teachers, they also behave passive-aggressively sometimes. And we find that those people are, as I mentioned earlier, just uncomfortable with anger or with conflict. They think their life is only going to get worse if they're direct with their anger. And so they find these ways to take their anger out on other people in hidden, but very frustrating, very sabotaging ways. Now, in a practice setting, or at least I think I see it occurring, I see it with couples in talking either to a person in a relationship and I'm treating them and don't know the other partner, but I hear stories or they tell stories, or also sometimes I see it in the case of bullying with children where a child may start telling stories about things that have been done as you build a bit of enough relationship where they'll talk to you openly. Are they common settings? Is that just my particular practice? Or what do you see in a clinical setting? Truthfully, we see passive-aggressive behavior all over the place. I mean, the one place I'd say we don't see it is with people that don't interact with other people. Passive aggression is necessarily a two-player game. There's always person A who is, you know, doing these subtle acts to take their anger out on person B. And the interesting thing about the dynamic is that person B usually doesn't even realize 
that they are sort of the recipient and the target of this person's hidden hostility until they are so frustrated that they explode. You know, they basically act out the anger for the other person. And, you know, after they've yelled or screamed or behaved unprofessionally or, you know, sent a very unprofessional, hostile text or email, all of a sudden they sort of are embarrassed. You know, they realize they lost it. And they don't even know why, because the anger didn't originally reside with them. It's a feeling that has been created in them. You're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough. My guest is Signa Whitson. She is the co-author of a really interesting book dealing with a very interesting topic, The Angry Smile. And it's the new psychological study on passive-aggressive behavior at home, at school, in marriage, in close relationships, in the workplace, and online. You know, it's almost as if you threw in and online, but my sense is, you didn't just throw it in. This is becoming a greater issue. Tell me a little bit about online passive-aggressive behavior and how that's displayed. You know, one core sort of feature of social media, texting, typing from a computer, is that you can be pretty hostile or be pretty cruel to someone else, but you don't have to actually look them in the eye to do it. And so I think that electronic communication has truly just opened up this whole new venue for passive-aggressive behavior where people are willing to say and type, you know, leave notes for people that they would never, ever do if they had to speak them aloud. When you deal with that, that has to be a whole new world because I guess in one respect, people might be able to show you the interactions. They might bring in, whether it was a Facebook page or, or things like that, do patients bring in those sorts of things to show you? Absolutely. And you know what is really interesting and just furthers the whole destructive dynamic is that when someone who's been on the receiving end of this online passive aggression, when they do sort of have the courage or the assertiveness to confront the passive aggressive person with it, you know, to bring in an example or to show it to the person, usually what you'll hear from the passive aggressive person is, gosh, you're so sensitive. I didn't mean it that way. I was just kidding. I didn't know you would take it so seriously. You know, there's sort of this endless stream of plausible excuses, but also very frustrating ones where, you know, the passive-aggressive person just sort of doubles down. Not only did they send this hostile message, but now they have this new layer of hostility where they deny their anger in the first place. They make the other person feel like they are too sensitive, you know, don't have a sense of humor whatever. Because it's veiled in the beginning, they can play with it a little longer. And probably I would imagine other people might say, see, they didn't mean any harm by this or whatever, and continue that, which probably is more hurtful in the long run as well. You got it. Now, I know you and the co-authors deal, from what I was reading, a lot with children, adolescents. How does this display itself in destructive and behavior that could impact someone's overall health as well? Well, one of the things we talk about and explore quite a bit in the book is how the passive-aggressive personality develops in the first place. And we talk about these different developmental pathways that young people are on. For example, if a young person grows up in a home where they have an authoritarian parent or they have a parent who's aggressive when they act out their anger, you know, this young person sort of gets the message, hey, anger is a really dangerous, scary thing look how my parent gets so out of control, or even look how my teacher gets so out of control. I better learn to control my anger. So kids are sort of set on this path of always subverting their anger. 
And the way this plays out in clinical settings later on or in the workplace or online or in adult relationships is that there's some understandable reasons why a child developed a passive-aggressive personality in relation to this angry, authoritarian, aggressive parent. But then the child, as they grow up, they overgeneralize and they respond passive-aggressively even to husbands and wives and bosses and friends who are not aggressive, who are not scary. So in other words, it becomes a personality pattern and this chronic pattern of behavior that is no longer necessary, and so it becomes very destructive. Interesting you say that because when I deal with patients, again, who are on the passive-aggressive side or at least their partners saying things, they really don't think they're acting that way, but their partners will say, I see this behavior quite often, they don't even know they're doing it. Absolutely. That's what we see. You know, there is some passive-aggressive behavior that we all do. You know, procrastination, the silent treatment, withdrawing, answering with fine or whatever. All of us are passive-aggressive sometimes and in certain situations. But when this becomes a pattern, when a person only knows how to express their anger through passive-aggressive means, that's when it becomes especially destructive. So what we're looking for in, in terms of this being a problem is not isolated incidents of passive-aggressive behavior, but this chronic pattern. So when you try to help people, let's say you're trying to help in a relationship or a young child or someone, the person who is acting in the passive-aggressive way, what sort of suggestions can you make? How can you help them? I'm sure you probably try to explain it to them, but how do you get them to change or change their behavior? You know, with a lot of clinical work, the first step is self-awareness sort of recognizing what this pattern is, recognizing how destructive it has been, what the costs are to the person. But then the real work lies in teaching people that, first of all, anger is okay. It's a normal, natural part of being human, but that the person has choices in how they express their anger. And they've been choosing passive-aggressive behavior. They could also choose things like being aggressive, which, of course, we don't recommend, or being passive, which is not a great choice either. But the fourth choice, and the one we want to move people toward, is being assertive and developing these skills where they can be open and honest and direct with their feelings of anger or frustration in a situation or a relationship, while still being civil and courteous and respectful. I will freely admit, in the times I've been passive-aggressive, when I've been very angry or done that, There is a joy, although a perverse joy, I will say, in seeing the other person get angry and explode at the person who seems to be in control. Prior to this program, I was speaking to a lot of people about, think about if you've been passive aggressive. And that was a similar experience. They were saying, well, it is kind of fun in a weird way that people get upset because then you know you hit gold. But that really is a cruel and horrible way to act if you really look at it. Well, it's no accident that we titled our book The Angry Smile and that title is all about that secondary pleasure that the passive-aggressive person derives from really being able to control someone else, getting someone else to act out the anger that they have been harboring. And in the book, we tell dozens and dozens and dozens of real-life examples of passive-aggressive behavior at home, at work, in relationships, online, etc. But we also take some time to just laugh a little bit at the lengths that some people will go to to avoid expressing anger directly and to derive that sense of satisfaction. So with a couple minutes to go, tell us a couple of funny stories and let all these healthcare providers laugh a little bit at things we shouldn't be doing or patients shouldn't be doing, but what are some of the funny stories? 
Oh, gosh. Well, there are a whole lot of stories around the different notes that people leave, you know, writing a note in ketchup to a waitress that says, we waited 45 minutes for service and then leaving. My favorite story is the one about the woman who is at the mall. She opens her purse. She's fumbling for her wallet. And the cashier says, that looks like a remote control in your purse. You know, that's strange. Do you always bring your remote with you? And the woman said, no, but my husband refused to go shopping with me. And this is the coolest thing that I could do to him that would still be legal. <laughs> so, it's pretty good, right. actually. But yeah, yeah. That, so. that is a good one, right? And it's so true. It's these, you know, covert, simple things. And of course, you know, the woman could return home and she could just sort of feign ignorance and be like, oh my, look, I accidentally brought the remote with me. It must have fallen in my purse. That's a hallmark of passive aggression that there's always the thinly veiled, plausible excuse to justify their behavior. Well, Signa Whitson, I want to thank you for joining us on Primary Care today on ReachMD. Again, she is the co-author of The Angry Smile, the new psychological study of passive-aggressive behavior at home, at school, in marriage, and close relationships in the workplace and online. And I want to thank you for taking the time to join us. It was a lot of fun and also very, very interesting. Thanks so much for having me. For those of you who did not hear all of this or want to hear it again, you can go to ReachMD.com slash Primary Care today. You can download the podcast. You can listen as often as you like, and certainly we thank you very much for listening.